Episode 69 of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob, but we've got a special guest joining us today. He pitched for the Blue Jays in 2017 and 2018, currently in the minors with the Minnesota Twins, and I guess most importantly, was stationed in the U.S. Army in Bulgaria and Romania for two and a half years. Our guest is none other than Chris Rowley. Chris, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to have you here. And I mean, things are crazy right now, but um, I hope you and your family are safe. And I guess starting things off, how are you staying active during quarantine? So oh, I, uh, I'm, I'm actually in, in still. I'm in, like you said, I'm with the twins now. I'm, I'm still in Fort Myers, um, rehabbing a uh, a minor shoulder injury. Um, so I, I elected to stay here and um, and rehab and, and try to make sure that I was getting the best care and and focused and, and you know, all that stuff. So instead of going home, I, I stayed here. Well, were you, I, I know that you were injured. Um, I think earlier you were um, supposed to get surgery, but you ended up not getting it because of everything being shut down. Did you end up getting that surgery or not? Yeah, I did. I, I ended up getting surgery. It, it was a little bit of a logistical challenge just because of everything that was going on. I was um, trying to go to a, a rotator cuff specialist in New York um, who is I mean, essentially, literature says that he's the leading guy in his field. Then he got COVID, so it was <laughs> a we had to we had to do a little bit of a of a hot route, a little bit of an audible, and uh, but we found a uh, found a good doctor and was able to get the surgery done. And my rehab is going extremely well. I'm really pleased with my progress, and hopefully, we'll be able to get back from this. And hopefully, there's going to be some baseball to get back to, so I can uh, so I can pitch again, you know. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. But the main reason that you're here today is for what you posted on Instagram last week. Um, I can just read a part of it that you wrote. You said, quote, it is becoming increasingly evident that Major League Baseball will do anything they can to pad their pockets. And it's typically at the expense of the players, notably minor leaguers. The pandemic is no different. And then later you wrote, quote, when play was stopped due to COVID-19, MLB agreed to compensate most players between 50% and 145% of their salaries as players are expected to fully continue training. However, many veteran players who sign minor league contracts are being paid, on average, less than 10% of their salaries, yet are expected to be 100% ready to play. Um, So lots to unpack there, and I think starting things off, all three of us here on our side totally agree with you. We've been talking about it on the podcast, um, just that the side on the owner's side of things is um, very disappointing from our perspective so far. But you said you submitted a proposal to MLB to compensate these veteran players on minor league deals. Um, can you just explain sort of what that proposal was? Right. Well, you know, 
So here, he, the way that we went about it was um, essentially, you know, no, no, uh, no offense intended to y'all, but essentially, I, I didn't want to be having these conversations. And the, the majority of the people who I worked with on this, which are, the, the list is long, um, I just happened to be the one willing to, to put my name alongside of it. Um, it. We wanted to make sure that we went through the appropriate channels because if we're talking about the group that's impacted here, it's majority, majority of them are veteran minor league guys who have spent time in the big leagues, right? So they have a long history of a mutually beneficial relationship with Major League Baseball. And that's been... Um, you know, both parties have, you know, like, like I said, both parties have, have totally, um, enjoyed what the, what the other parties had, had brought to the table. So, you know, players have made major league baseball money, major league baseball has facilitated guys making, you know, making it to the big leagues and, and living out their dream. So we wanted to make sure that we, we handled it the right way. And doing so was, was going directly to major league baseball and saying, Hey, we've got a problem here. And the problem is that, you know, is, you know, what we, what we outlined uh, and what I outlined in that Instagram post. And, um, we wanted to make sure we didn't want to go to the media first. The, the press is not something that we wanted to have involved. And we told major league baseball that. So in the proposal, um, the proposal was made to the league economics uh, division. And we, we proposed that guys who are on negotiated minor league salaries and guys who are on renewed outrighted contracts would receive somewhere in the ballpark of on the aggregate about 65% of their paychecks, which is, um, you know, the, the way that it was actually broken down. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to, the proposal was people who are on their uniform draft contracts, which you, you're familiar with, which are what you make when you first get drafted. And it's the, the, I mean, the whole other issue, right. You know, the minor league pay on that is, is, is on that side of, of the coin is horrific and it also needs to be addressed. But, um, you know, they, they said that $400, $400 a week for those guys compared to what their agreed upon and executed contracts are seems fair because for the majority of those guys, that's more money than they were going to make during the championship season anyways, right? Um, now, for guys who are making, you know, anywhere from that to up to, you know, you're, talk, you're looking at guys who are making five dollars $6,000 a week, we did, we, we did a scaled uh, percentage-wise structured proposal that would pay guys a certain percentage based on what their expected salary was instead of you know you look at a guy who's got you know five or six years of service time who maybe signed a, a minor league deal and they're they're supposed to make six thousand dollars a week well you're, you're paying them four hundred dollars a week and that doesn't really that doesn't you know they're, they're it's multi it's multifaceted in that it doesn't really add up to what you're expecting them to do um, you know, they're, they're expected, they're still expected to for, perform the intensive, you know, the, the labor intensive parts of their job, the most difficult parts of their job for, you know, in that case, you're looking at about 5% of their pay and, and for, for that expectation to be levied on, on guys is, is, um, it's unethical because you're, you're asking them to do hundred percent of what their, of what their job title tells them to do. And, and or, or you're not 100% um, in terms of performing in front of the fans, but 100% in what you're expecting them to do in the offseason and then spring training, just train to be ready to play. But you're gonna, only going to pay them, um, you know, in that case, about 5% of their paycheck. And that's just, you know, obviously, there's something wrong with that. And and the reason there's something wrong with that, this isn't, this isn't us, you know, sitting here and, and banging our fists on the table and saying, we want more money. You know, I, I think that 
obviously COVID has, has, has affected millions and millions and millions of people across the world, both health-wise, economics, and in every facet of life. And, and we're not blind to that. What, what we're, we take issue with is the decision, the unilateral decision by Major League Baseball to decide to pay certain players in, in, um, in an industry, certain, certain employees in an industry, um, 145% of their paychecks and others with similar or the same job title in the same industry, 5%. And, you know, that's, that's just, that's just, uh, it's unethical and inequitable, inequitable treatment of employees. And we, um, we took issue with that and we tried to handle it directly with Major League Baseball. And unfortunately, um, they, we're not very receptive to us. Yeah, uh, Chris, this is a matter that's clearly become personal to all the veteran players on minor league deals. Uh, you spent time with the Jays in uh, 2017, 2018. Uh, you spent time with the Rangers organization as well as the Padres, and now you currently are uh, with the Twins organization. Uh, you, you wrote a little bit about your personal emotional side of uh, being in the situation of this pay dispute. Uh, can you explain more fully what impact this has on you and your family? So, I mean, for, you know, and just as an anecdote, you know, I personally, I, my, my, and, and this is reflective of, I would say the majority of guys in my situation or possibly even worse, you know, my, my financial responsibility that I've taken on has, has been directly related to just like with anybody in any profession has been directly related to what my expected income is. And now the, what the, what, what the, circumstances are is that that income has been taken away with no with no legitimate means for me to find other ways to make it right so what that means is the Minnesota Twins own my rights they own the rights for me to play baseball I can ask for my release but they don't have to give it to me the only way I can voluntarily leave this situation that I'm in where where I'm being told that I'm going to be paid $400 a week for the remainder of the season um, is and 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 some guys even have it worse. You can look at that. We can talk about the A's later on. Um, you know, I, I'm being told that's what I'm going to be paid for the rest of the season. The I have no way of escaping that except for to voluntarily retire from my profession that I've worked my lifelong work, training, and sweat equity to leave that profession forever and not ever do it again. That's the only choice I have to get out of that situation, right? So, and corresponding with that, and just like other guys who are, are in similar or like situations, my financial responsibility that I've taken on personally has been my expected income is. And, every, and, and, and if you look across America and the world, everyone does the same thing, right? So what your expected income is, you make your financial decisions based on that. I did that, and now I have been told that that is not going to happen. And also, Appendix A, you can't do anything about it. Can't leave. Nothing you can do. And there, there, are, there are, are, are hundreds of other guys who are in the same situation. And, and guys who have, I mean, think about just, and this is a, this is, we'll call this guy Player X. Player X signed with the Toronto Blue Jays for, um, $20,000 a month. And, you know, he's, he's got, we'll say he's got 
two weeks in the big leagues. He's got two weeks of service time in the big leagues. He's bounced around organization. He's an older guy. He's 28, 29, 30. He, he signs a, a, a one-year deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. And now he's being told that that $20,000 a month that he was supposed to make, that's now $1,600 a month. And he, has, he has no way of, of escaping that situation. Player X just has a new home. He just just got, you know, he's got a mortgage he's got to pay. He's got a, he's got a wife and he's got a young child. The wife is out of the workforce because he's got a young child needs to be taken care of. And as the breadwinner, he expected to make in the ballpark of, you know, you can do math, $100,000 this year. And then, you know, back that up, that looks like whatever 1,600 times five is, you know? So it's, it's not, it's not, he doesn't have any there's no there's no way for him to to get out of that situation because the the, the in that scenario in this you know obviously fictitious scenario the blue jays own his rights and and you're looking at, at approximately 500 guys across the game in baseball who are in this situation who have who have advanced their careers to take on to be able to take on more financial responsibility they've put in the work they've paid their dues in many cases they've paid their dues to the MLBPA they've paid their big league union dues and yet and yet this is the group that seems to be marginalized the most again you know notwithstanding the, the what's going on with the Oakland A's and, and you know there's there's there are other employees being marginalized across across the industry as well but um, in under this model and and the fight that we that we took to the, to major league baseball this group of players is the one are the ones that are the most financially vulnerable because they're they don't have any collective bargaining power. They're, they're, Major League Baseball Association does not represent their interests because they're on minor league contracts. And they are, can just be unilaterally told, hey, we are choosing to, to pay you, you know, between 5 and 10% of your paycheck. However, you can't do anything about it. And it puts, I mean, it's, it's, it's putting guys in dire financial circumstances. And my, you know, myself included, I'll admit it. I'm to, to make it to the big leagues pretty quick. And I I'm, was, I, you know, I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to, to do so. And, and I'm extremely thankful that I was able to make a little bit of money after comma, you know, after that comma, I've also made decisions based on what, what I, the money that I've made and, and, Decisions. You just can't. You can't just take back those decisions. You know, those are those are those are decisions that you've got to follow through on. And and other guys around the game, a, a not insignificant number of guys, are in that same situation. We talked to um, Kevin Smith, a prospect for the Blue Jays, a few weeks ago, and he said kind of a similar thing. Whether you're being paid four hundred dollars a week or four thousand dollars a week, you're still living within your means, and you're making decisions based off of that. So just cutting the amount of money all of a sudden is, you know, it's an insurmountable challenge. But you mentioned the Oakland A's and other teams around Major League Baseball. We've just been hearing in kind of a flurry of news the past few days. Um, Some teams are committing to paying their minor league players, the Twins among them. Other teams, like you mentioned, the A's, um, the Diamondbacks, I believe the Mets have started cutting major league, or excuse me, minor league players. Um, And these are players, there's a roster freeze. There's probably not going to be a minor league season. These are players who probably aren't going to be on a roster and get playing time until 
2021, which means they're not going to be making money since uh, until then. What kind of situation does this put players in? So, I mean, think about, um, I mean, you can really put this in any profession, right? Because what people don't understand, some people don't understand, a lot of people do, but some, what some people don't understand is that when the baseball season's over, a baseball player's work begins, right? So our work our, the, the, the majority of our work happens in the off season because you got to, you got to, you got to fix everything that went wrong. There's 162 games in a season. If you made it through healthy, you're, you're either special or you're a liar. You know, there's no way, there's no way that you, you made it through healthy. There's no way you do your body didn't break down. So you got to recover. You got to rebuild. That's what a baseball player's work begins in the off season. And, and baseball players are not paid in the off season. And for minor leaguers and, and talk, talking specifically guys on those minor league uniform contracts, those guys are, are paid, what, $7,000 to, to play in an entire season, sometimes in, in as high as AA. Pay guys $7,000 to, to play an entire season in AA, then the offseason begins and the paycheck ends, but the work begins, right? So then, so end of 2019 season, Work begins, paycheck ends. So you're looking at a guy who likely, unless he came from money, has a huge signing bonus, or has other means of, of passive income, has to get a job. So he has to have employment. He has to find uh, a way to house himself and fuel himself for short term, which, which I don't know. I mean, I'm sure y'all know this, but majority of short term leases come at a premium because if you don't sign a 12 month lease, they're going to want to charge you more assign a shorter term lease at a premium to pay more you want to you want to try to fuel yourself like like you should properly and train like you should properly as well as work to gain money to be able to afford all this stuff and then you're you're expected to show up ready to go in, in spring training which you are also not paid for and, and try to compete against the game's best many of whom the resources because they've made it you know who've and who who have the resources to be able to do that adequately in the offseason the fool's errand and then and 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 it's it's i guess a little bit surprising to me that that that, the, that in 2020 that the model still looks like that because you would think that a team commit teams who are committed to winning and committed to actually developing their their players would Run. You don't even have to run an economic model on that. You can just put it into an Excel file and realize that the numbers don't add up. If you really want guys to to prepare and train and be successful, I mean, the dollar the dollar amount's got to be higher. And, and now you add this this scenario, right? So like end of 2019, these guys. We'll talk about Oakland A's guys. End of 2019, these guys stop receiving their paychecks, right? And then they go all off season. Some of some of whom. Some of these, some players, and myself included, I've done this in the past, have budgeted themselves out to the offseason to where they come back to spring training with the bare minimum that they could possibly have left in liquidity to survive. So now I'm sure there's, there have been guys that have done that. Come back and they get sent back home. They don't receive a single paycheck. They get, you know, a month and 20 days of, of $400 a week. And they're told, okay, you, you don't get any more money. You are still expected. Don't I mean? There's still the expectation there 
that whenever they are called back, they are in shape and they are ready to go, but they're not getting paid a dime to do it. Then on, you know, on top of all of that is the, the fact that players in other organizations, the guys they're competing against are receiving different, are receiving different benefits, are, are getting more money. And then I mean, it, it's just a, I, I don't, I don't understand how, um, how guys are going to survive on that. I mean, seriously, there, I mean, you're, you're going to see a flurry of retirements, you know, and, and there's always been, obviously been a ton of people who are, who've been released. You're going to see a flurry of retirements. Um, guys are just not going to be able to afford to do that. And guys are going to not going to want to do that because why, why would you, I mean, why would you, why would you be willing to sacrifice a paycheck essentially for 18 months? So that's what they're sacrificing a paycheck for 18 month furlough. But they don't have anywhere to. And, but the the Oakland A's are telling them that they they can't do anything about it. You know, oh, you want to be a free? We're not going to pay you, but you're not going to be a free agent. We still retain your rights. Um, the, the guys, this is not a lie, and this is not an Oakland A's uh, player. But I had a friend text me a screenshot from an employee of the organization he plays for, and that employee told him that he is the property of that team said you are the property of X team. And that's the mentality. I mean, that's the, that's how guys are treated. And, and especially in the minor leagues. And I mean, just to, in 2020 for, for a employee to be told that he is the property. That's, that's a, you know, they said where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and I think that's evidence of, of really, um, some really poor thought processes going into the treatment of minor leaguers. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, because we're hearing in the media, I think the it's safe to say that the owners are leaking things that make the players look bad. You know, they're leaking this agreement. Well, let's just cut the pie 50-50. But when you look at it like that, like, no, they're they're looking at these players as property. And wow, that's that's crazy to hear. Well, Major League Baseball's Major League Baseball is really good at on that on that note. What they're very very good at, and, and the clubs are, are the same way. Good at controlling the narrative. They've done this done this for years, and ever since I've played, they've controlled the narrative. Of course, you know, the when and and related to this specific topic, Major League Baseball has done a good job controlling the narrative on everything related to COVID play stoppage. But specifically for this, they got out in front of this and said. You know, the, just the way that it was phrased and the way that it was, you know, it was modeled was was that these organizations are excited to continue compensating their players, and that's how they get out in front of it. And they they make and now now if you if you go on if you go on social media and you see some of these tweets about unrelated topics and you look at the replies, people are starting to understand what's going on. There's the there's there is a, there is much more awareness surrounding the treatment of minor leaguers than there used to be. And so people are are start, kind of starting to catch on to, wait, hold on. You're saying you're excited to continue to continue compensating guys, but they're doing the math in their head and they're realizing sixteen hundred dollars a month after just going six months without a paycheck. That's probably not enough to make ends meet for the for the most bare minimum of of you know of financial response players with the most bare minimum financial responsibilities. Then you add in people who have wives and and kids. And then you, you kind of start to realize that uh, that's not even close to enough, right? 
And, and I, I, so I, I do think I, I'm excited for the amount of awareness, I guess, that is, that has more recently, um, I guess, spiked in, in response to Major League Baseball and its clubs, uh, the treatment of minor leaguers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, even just seeing replies throughout the past couple of weeks of, you know, people are starting to actually uh, back the players and, you know, there's a lot of hurdles ahead, but um, let's turn to the safety side and um, briefly. So, you know, there's there's a lot of risks to play. Um, I think that's an understatement uh, with this current pandemic going on. Um, there's been players like Sean Doolittle and Blake Snell. They've been pointing out the actual health risks, whether it's on Twitter or other social media uh, platforms. Chris, have you had the chance maybe to see whether it's pictures or videos of what games are currently looking like uh, in Korea or Taiwan? Um, from a fan's perspective of myself, not only does it give me baseball to watch, but it also gives a glimpse of to everyone of what safe and health protocols are put in place. And it also gives everyone an idea of what all sports are going to look like for the foreseeable future uh, with you know the health protocols and with the biggest part with no fans. So a uh, uh, personal question to you. Are you comfortable playing when there's currently a risk of COVID-19, you know, no matter how many health measures are put in place? So I think what the what is really important here is that the protocols be airtight. And to, the short answer to your question is yes, that I would be comfortable playing um, with there being COVID still present in the world with the proper protocols in place. Now then that the challenge becomes airtight protocols, right? So um, it, looking at the model, at, at the possibility of, of, you know, the testing and playing in front of no fans, I do think it's doable. I, I mean, I really do. Um, now, I'm, I'm just not sure what the, you know, I'm not smart enough to, to sit down and write up a list of protocols because I, I, I don't, I don't know enough. You know, but I do think that if if there are safety measures that the um, that Major League Baseball comes up with and that the PA agrees with and and, and the players seem to back, um, that I would feel comfortable playing uh, the season under different circumstances. Obviously, I I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's very smart to have fans in the stands. And really, more that's more for their their safety than it is for ours, right? I mean, because we're um, we're going to be plenty of, of distance away from the fans. Um, but if you pack if you pack forty five thousand people into into the Rogers Center, you know you're gonna you're gonna have some people in, cro- in close proximity. And I just don't think that that's a I don't think that's probably the way to do it. Um, but I think that if if there if there is a proper testing procedure and a, and a proper um, response um, in the unfortunate event that a player tests positive, then um, that I, I certainly would feel comfortable playing. So when it comes to playing without fans, you did mention that it is more for the fan safety, which I do agree with. Um, how long do you think it would take you and other players to adjust to playing in this kind of quiet environment where, you know, even if, there's a pivotal moment in the game and you strike someone out or something good happens, there's really no cheering. How long do you think it'll take for you kind of to adjust to that? I mean, just to be candid, I think that without a doubt there will be, and it could be marginal, but there will be to a degree, a decline in the quality of the game. I mean, that's just, I think that 
for whatever reason, people respond to crowds. Whether it's a home crowd or an away crowd, people respond to crowds. They respond to noise. Um, and playing in the Gulf Coast League is a little bit different than um, than towing the rubber in Yankee Stadium. You know, with 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 you know tens of thousands of people around versus hundreds of people around, um, or if that you know in the Gulf Coast League. So um, I do think that there will be the game will look different. Now, uh, I think that the, the decline in the game, you're talking about a, 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 a mar, probably a marginal, um, maybe not even distinguishable decline in the game. Because in the major leagues, you're looking at the, obviously, the premier athletes of the sport who are probably driven less by crowds than they are by desire to be successful. So um, while I think there will, will be a little bit of a, of a decline in the quality of the game, I think it'll be nominal and possibly indistinguishable. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, also from a fan's perspective, you know, we've seen what Toronto crowds can be like and not having any of that, I think will be a bit of an adjustment. Uh, but then also I want to talk a little bit about the the protocols in place for you as a player. Uh, we know that some things will have to be sacrificed for the sake of safety. Uh, we've seen that proposals to eliminate showers in the ballpark, uh, players are now not allowed to spit. Uh, I can imagine other things such as working with trainers in a physical environment uh, or taking hot and cold baths will also have to be eliminated. Uh, as for you and other players, how do you think that that will uh, increase your risk of injury? Or do you think it will increase your risk of injury not having uh, these methods of healing available to you? I think it probably won't increase the risk of injury. I think it will probably increase the risk of people getting frustrated and yelling at each other. <laughs> just to be honest, I mean, I think that that it, it, what it's going to do is just it's just going to make it tedious and a hassle to make sure that you're getting the proper treatment that you're getting. If those are the uh, the treatment vehicles that you like to use, so you know, I, I think that it's you know probably not going to be a significantly higher injury risk. Um, I think that teams usually do a pretty good job of of, of making sure their guys are, are good to go. And guys, let me rephrase that. Guys usually do a pretty good job of making sure that they're that they're ready to go, taking charge of their own careers. Um, I think that if 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 using one of those recovery or treatment vehicles is is one of your primary ways to recover, you're just going to have to find another way. And um, and I think that they're they're all like enough to where I don't think we'll see a, uh, you know, a significant spike in injuries. I would be much more concerned from an injury standpoint, um, seeing guys come back and, and, and maybe not have had the resources or the opportunity to throw or hit or do any of their activities at a facility that they should be at and then trying to ramp up in some type of an abbreviated spring training. I think that would be more of an injury concern than safety protocols. And yeah, just to touch on that abbreviated spring training, uh, what do you think uh, ramping up pitching in such a quick schedule uh, would, uh, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think that that would also increase the risk of injury kind of, going from not doing much, just, you know, working out at home to then, to then um, just going all at it, trying to make a major league team. 
think, yeah, I mean, I think it, it really depends on the time frame for that. It depends on the time frame. Oh, first off, everybody, everybody's different, right? So like um, in, in the past, I've been able to ramp up pretty quickly. You know, it's easy to ramp up to to five innings when you're only throwing 88. Like I, you know, I'll just I'll be able to 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 get stretched out like like that. But guys guys just respond to to getting ready differently. And I think that if you have players who need more time, you better have you better have some bullpen depth. <laughs> you know, you get because you can't you can't force those guys to be um, to be pumping out five or six innings. You know, within three weeks, it's just not going to happen. And um, you're going to, but the, the residual effect is going to be on the bullpen. You know, you're going to have, you're going to have a tax bullpen three, you know, three or four games into the season. That's not, that's not ideal. So um, I do, I do think there is some risk there. I think that if teams are smart and if players are smart, then they are already coming up with contingency plans for, uh, for bullpen movement or, you know, maybe, totally changing the way that they use the rotation and, and relievers. I, I don't have that answer. I've thought about it. I don't, I, I don't have it. Um, I don't know who, who might have, hopefully, hopefully the teams do. Cause I mean, if you're, if you, I mean, the, the answer to me, the, the obvious answer to me would be to expand the active roster um, to allow for more arms. Um, Specifically, I mean, I think the 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 injury issue specifically, I I think is probably going to be geared more towards pitchers. I think the it's, it's an obvious solution to just expand the roster, give 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 teams two or three more arms, and that way they can not because because you're not going to have like if if you're expect normally expecting your five day guys to go six innings and your five day guys are going four innings, then that's just the entire burden of that is on the bullpen and if you have uh, the same number of guys in the bullpen the same number of arms in the bullpen they're gonna they're, that's gonna lead to injury problems well i'm glad you brought up the the depth aspect of this because we've seen talks of you know expanding rosters to 30 people or having a so-called taxi squad of players that are kind of on reserve ready to join the roster in case of injury in case of you know hot and cold streaks um where it looks like right now that there won't be a minor league season, at least, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the impression that we're getting. Um, what type of damage does that do to minor league players not having the development available to them for a year? And I mean, you can improve your game not playing, but of course, most of the stuff, at least from my perspective, seems to happen on the field, and that's where you learn the most. So what kind of damage does it do to not be playing games for minor leaguers if there isn't a season? I think it's a critical loss. I mean, you're taking the entire next generation of big leaguers, and you're taking a year of experience away from them, right? So that's that's the way I look at, look at it. You're taking a, a year of experience, and and, and I say, I use the phrase "take." You're taking, but the 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 circumstances surrounding COVID, which you know, I, I um, the likelihood that the season will be the minor league season will be canceled is obviously extremely high, and um, and these guys are going to lose, and you know, myself included, are going to lose out on a an entire year of experience, an entire year of being seen, an entire year of development. Uh, an entire year of pay, you know, it's just, there's nothing really good that's, that's, that can come of it, you know? And, and this is, like I said, it's the entire next generation of big leaguers who now has had the, the 
complexion of that completely changed because who's going to retire from this? Who's going to say, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I don't want to sit, sit at home and, and be an Oakland A's minor leaguer and, and make zero dollars, you know, for the next. So their pay stops May 31st, make zero dollars from the, from my employer from May 31st until April 10th of next year. No way. How many guys, so many guys are going to say, no, you know what? It's just not worth it. And those, they, they could be very good players. To me, in my, in my experience, how much you love the game and how much you're willing to stick out, um, you know, and the, you know, the, I don't know if I can use bad words on here, but the bullshit that you get from, from the teams, it has nothing to do with how good of a player you are. It's just whether or not you want to deal with it. And, and I've seen, I've seen first rounders who are good players be like, you know what? Enough. I've had enough. I'm done. And I, and I think you're, you'll see, see that with, with not just the A's with, with other organizations too. Yeah. I think you're bringing up a lot of great points there. Um, we talked about this kind of at the top of the show where people are still working out and trying to, you know, do something to improve themselves. As you mentioned, uh, the off season is where the real work goes in. Um, do you think that, you know, this is probably an opportunity for players to come back even stronger in the future, even, you know, if they do choose to continue with their operations? Or do you think that this would kind of act as lost time where you mentioned they're not getting paid? Um, they really are losing major league experience or any baseball experience for that matter. So just do you, th- what do you think about that? I look at it personally, I just look at it like a, like a scale, right? So on one side of the scale, you have, you have uh, competency, you have the, the ability to player of the player to produce on the field. And then on the other side of the scale, you have health. So I think the, the, the circumstances surrounding minor league baseball right now, the scale is going to be tipped heavily in the direction of health. I think guys are going to get healthy. They're going to get, you know, any, any types of, of bumps, you know, bumps, bruises. I think, I think more, more guys who are banged up to maybe um, their off season work didn't really allow them to re- recover um, the way that they maybe should have um, not, not necessarily through the fault of their own, just, just by continuing to continuous wear on the body. Um, I think that guys will probably be healthier at the at the, on the other side of this and that their development will be a year behind. So I think that it's, it's, there's, there's good to it, which is that guys ideally will be, will be feeling better coming back from this. But the bad on it is that they just lost out on an entire season where they would have been in numerous, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of situations where they would have, you know, analyzed, acted, and then understood that action was and then and, and, and learn from it in their game to, to hone their game they're not getting that right now I mean that's what baseball is so nuanced and, and you learn so many things just by making mistakes or making good pitches or by hitting you know uh, a certain pitch in a certain count and and recognizing that you can do that that guys are losing out on all those opportunities mm-hmm. well this is really incredible insight and as far as swearing goes let it rip because we want to get all your passion on this podcast. Um, Yeah, it's incredible to hear this perspective. Um, I don't 
totally want to talk um, just about COVID-19 because, I mean, you're a whole player besides that and a very interesting player at that. I mentioned at the top of the show that you served in the U.S. Army. You were a field artillery fire support officer. I hope I got that right. Um, in Bulgaria and Romania for two and a half years. And um, I think all of us are Canadians here, but let me just start off in saying that, I mean, we thank you for your service to the U.S. and to the world, really. Um, the start of your pitching story is really interesting, I think, because you were fantastic in your senior year at West Point, but you went undrafted because there's this five-year service time requirement um, in the Army graduating from West Point. Um, Can you just walk us through after you graduated, what happened um, with the Blue Jays after that? So, um, first off, I I appreciate it. There's, there have been a lot, a lot of people who have done, uh, a whole lot more than I have, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I've done nothing. Um, I appreciate, you know, the sentiment, you know, from y'all, but, um, and and one more clarification, I've, I've actually noticed that people have gotten this wrong for the majority of my career. So no reflection on you. People have said this my whole career. I was not in Bulgaria and Romania for two and a half years. Was, oh. <laughs> I, my, my, my rotation overseas was four months. I was in, I was at Fort Stewart, Georgia. I was at Fort Stewart, Georgia, majority of that in um in their id in port Stewart, georgia so um i did do a rotation uh in eastern europe um it was part of operation atlantic resolve but that was only a four-month rotation so i was not over there for for two and a half years Um, and i'm mostly saying that because if my sister hears this she will for sure chirp me about allowing (laughs) y'all to to say that and not correcting you um yeah so i i uh i expected to get drafted um you know, I thought I had a very productive college career. You know, I've never thrown hard, but I've always been productive. Um, really, with the one exception of out of the bullpen. And I've, I've, I've been productive. Um, uh, you know, and I was productive then, and I expected to get drafted based on my production. And it just didn't happen, right? So I think there was, you know, I, I, I had a lot of innings in college. I didn't throw very hard, still don't throw very hard. Um, and, you know, I had the, the army thing probably didn't, didn't help. Um, and so I had a little bit of chip on my shoulder and I think that's what really what's driven me, you know, honestly, just my whole career. Cause at every single level I've been told by somebody who either knows what they're talking about or think they know what they're talking about, that I've just got no shot at the next level. Um, and that's, that's true. I mean, going back to middle school, um, I was, I got cut from, they allowed eighth graders to try out for the freshman team when I was in eighth grade and I got cut from that team. I didn't make that team. Um, I, and that just, that fueled me. And the next year I, as a freshman, I didn't make JV and that fueled me. And then I got two offers coming out of college. Um, and that fueled me. And then coming, coming out of, or coming out of high school, I got two offers and that fueled me. And then coming out of college, I didn't get drafted. And then the Blue Jays were the, actually the only team to offer me a, a free agent contract. The only team they called. And it fueled me, right? So I pitched a little bit in that, that summer in the GCL, threw the ball well, um, and went to, um, went to Bullock, which is, um, which is the Army Officer Leadership Course. And then I went to Fort Stewart, Georgia, and I was there for the next two and a half years with a rotation in Eastern Europe for um, for four months. And then I came back, um, I, I came down for instructs in 2015 for a little bit and then came back to spring trading in, in 2016. And then the Jays to their credit said, okay, we'll see what you can do. And and I went from the GCL to high a 
and I had um, probably my worst year of of my of my career. But um, I'll use an excuse and say oh, I was just coming back and getting used to getting used to playing again. But um, threw the ball pretty well in, in high A, and then uh, the next year went double A, triple A, uh, and then Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you said how you had your visions on the draft even uh, coming out of college. Uh, so when you served. Um, for the military, uh, how did you stay active during your time? Um, like, were you throwing at all? Like, how how were you uh, keeping that up to speed? So, I use kind of kind of similar to what we were talking about before. Guys missing a season, so I used that time that I was missing. I knew I wasn't going to be gaining any competitive advantage, right? So, I used that time to get healthy. Um, I I did not throw off a mound one time while I was gone. Um, I threw my first my first bullpen. I did actually, I never threw, I was gone in the army. I never threw off the mound um, a single time. I, my first bullpen was when I came back and I knew that, that I, I communicated that with, with the Blue Jays and I told them why, why I was doing that. And they seemed to be okay with it. <laughs> in, in retrospect, they probably just didn't really care that much. Probably, All right, man, like <laughs> whatever, stop emailing us, you know, but, um, but I just, I played catch probably, uh, I didn't play catch in the off season. I threw a football in the off season and then I played catch during the season, probably two to three times a week. That's really interesting that you just never threw off a mound. And to me, it's kind of amazing that, I mean, I, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were, um, got out of your army service in January of 2016. And then I think like 18 months later, you were, Sir, you made your major league debut with the Blue Jays in, uh, I think it was August of 2017. To me, that's remarkable that just at that pace, after not playing baseball for two and a half years, and you just said not throwing off of the mound for so long, you made it back to the majors um, or to the majors in the first place uh, at such a fast pace. Um, I guess, like, how is that even possible? It's just remarkable to me. Well, in 2017, I, I do these, I, I have these. I've, like I said, I've, I've, I take pride in the fact that, you know, unfortunately I was, I was injured um, in my first outing last year um, and didn't have great numbers. And then I've, I, um, you know, I'm dealing with a little bit of a, a little bit of an injury now, but I'll be back. Um, but I, I take pride in the fact that I've been productive my whole career at every, you know, at every turn, you know, my, my staple, my stamp on the wall is that give me the ball every fifth day. I'll give you a three and a half ERA or under every year. And, um, that year, 2017, it just, I just got in this, I just got in this zone. It was just this weird, there's just this weird thing. And I do this every once in a while for short stretches. Like I'll get in the zone and I'll just be, I'll just, I, I'll just throw the ball really, really well for two or three weeks. I got in the zone in 2017 and I threw the ball well for four months and I just didn't get hit for four months. And fortunately you know obviously the the it just lined up with with what the jays needed at the time um i was throwing the ball well in in triple a um and then they dealt liriano and they needed a starter and the timing lined up i was just kind of in that just in that zone and i was just just throwing the ball well and uh, i was i was very i'm something you got to know about me is that i um i'm supremely confident um and and you know to a, to a fault sometimes, but I'm supremely confident. And was whenever they dealt Liriano, I was like, all right, let's hear. I'm just, I was just, I stared at my phone from that point on, just waiting, you know, 
And um, fortunately, they, you know, the call came and they gave me the opportunity and um, and I really enjoyed that, that call. Yeah, I think, honestly, what you've been able to accomplish is crazy. It's it's awesome. It's more than I think I could ever do. Um, but I, I think one of the things we also want to ask is what are some of the goals that you have for your career or within the next few years? I mean, you mentioned the uh, rotator cuff surgery. Uh, and it was reported that you're going to have 12 months of rehab. So kind of after that, what are you, what, if, what are you hoping out of, uh, yourself and your abilities? What do you, where do you want to get? So obviously I want to come back from this, right? So, um, I don't want to leave the game like this. Um, I'd like to come back and, um, I'd like to, to make it back to the big leagues. And I think I can do that. I think that I've, um, you know, as, as long as I'm not in the bullpen, I think I can be a very good starter in the big leagues. And I've, I've maintained that since I, since I first got there. Um, I think I can be productive. I think I can throw 200 innings. I think I can do all the things you need to do in the big leagues, um, at a very high level. That's my main goal. Um, if, if for whatever reason that doesn't happen, because there are things that are outside of my control. Um, whether, you know, I think that the early indications from my rehab are that there's, there's no issue that I'm going to be able to get back. Um, if, you know, I got to be able, I got to show a team that, that I'm healthy and that, um, you know, I'm, cause I'm on a one-year deal with Minnesota and, and unless they, um, want to resign me, um, which I'm, you know, I would love to do. I'd love to, to give it a, you know, give it a do-over. Um, so we'll see if 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 that happens. I don't know. I'm, I'm causing a little bit of a ruckus in the in the media, but um, I don't know if they I don't know if they're going to want to bring me back. But if they do, or if if somebody else wants to take a shot on me, I've I think I've I've shown um, in my career that uh, you give me the ball, the good things are going to happen, and um, yeah, that's that's my priority. And outside of that, if that doesn't work out, um, you know, I, I'm really passionate about about being an advocate for players. And uh, I, I'd like to, to get into uh, representing players and I'd like to um, pursue uh, some collective bargaining opportunities for minor leaguers. I, I, wanna, see, I wanna see minor leaguers unionize. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's something that's become a passion for me because I don't want guys who are experiencing what they're experiencing right now or experience what we did when we were coming up I don't want that to happen anymore. And I think that, you know, there's, I'm not faulting guys for this, but a lot of guys make it and they forget what it was like. A lot of guys make it and they forget, they forget what it was like to be a minor leaguer. They forget what it was like to, to put six guys in a, in a three bedroom apartment with guys sleeping in closets and, and in the living room and, and whatnot, just to try to, to, you know, break even at the end of the month during the season. And um, so I think player advocacy is something that I'm going to, uh, find myself in whenever I'm done playing. Um, I hope that's not yet. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great to hear. And I think everyone's rooting for you. And just picking back off of that, what you said about the minor leaguers. Um, I mean, I've been impressed by the Blue Jays organization recently. They've committed to paying their minor leaguers more, but at the same time right now, they're cutting their minor leaguers. They're not committing to paying their um, their players and their organization, like other teams, like your twins. So that's a little bit frustrating. But yeah, um, it's certainly been a problem within baseball for 
years with um, issues with minor leaguers being paid in often uh, a lot of cases just below minimum wage. And I still don't understand how this is possible in a game that has revenues that exceed $10 billion a year for the owners. I, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, the Blue Jays are, you know, just, just to be candid, the Blue Jays have done things well. Um, but teams are, are just like Major League Baseball. Teams like to control the narrative. And, and what did the Blue Jays do whenever they've committed to playing their players more? They control the narrative and people patted them on the back all season for it. And, and you know, while they were paying their players more, the, the motivations behind that, I think, are, are very similar to what teams are doing now. When teams are – because if you look at what teams are doing now, um, the Oakland A's were the first ones to announce what they were, what they planned to do past May 31st, and that was to not pay their players. So now, what are teams doing? Teams are coming out and saying, "Oh, we're committed to paying players through the end of June." Oh, well, we're committed to paying players through the end of the season. They're just controlling the narrative. That's that's what they're probably trying to do, right? Is 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 look favorable in a situation that, if analyzed even just below the surface is extremely unfavorable to them, you know? So they just, they're very good at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's been incredible talking to you and we really enjoy you coming on. I do have one last question though, that I want to bring up to end things on a positive note. Um, You have a dog, Sammy or Samuel. So cute. Um, He has his own Instagram, Samuel or at Sir Sammy P. And I guess he's like a undercover British agent spying on the Americans. Yeah, he's a spy. Well, they tell me he's a spy. I'm, I'm, I'm not aware of it. I don't, you know, I, I got, I got nothing on him. You know, to me, he's just my dog, but you know, people are, people are kind of whispering that he might be a, a British spy and that uh, he's trying to, to relay some intelligence back to the crown. <laughs> well, it's absolutely adorable. Everyone go follow him at sir.sammy.p. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to get your insight on everything and we've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Hi guys. Seriously. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I appreciate you hearing me out. And, and honestly, sincerely, thank you for interest in, in guys, the quality of life and the quality of work for minor leaguers. I think that's, that's so important in our, in our, in our industry that, that, and it's, it's, uh, it's becoming more uh, prevalent, but it, in the past, it hasn't been very prevalent. And, and sincerely, thank you for, um, you know, allowing me to talk on some of these issues and, and being interested and, and, Wanting to better the lives of, or at least facilitate the bettering of the lives and the work conditions for minor leaguers. Thanks, guys. Well, it's our pleasure. Um, and as always, to everyone listening, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Section One Thirty Eight Pod. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.